Kate Fennessy is writing her first novel. And Helen Brown's going to help her. Welcome to our podcast, Novel Therapy. How to make life your best creative project. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 17 of Novel Therapy. I'm Kate Fennessy, aspiring author and social media marketer. And I'm Helen Brown, New York Times bestselling author. And we've got a very special guest. I'm so excited. We do have a special guest. I'm going to introduce you, Bradley. So we have Bradley Slabe with us um, today. And Bradley and I met at the Stella Short Film Festival earlier this year, which seems like a lifetime ago, (laughs) (laughs) pre-corona. It really does. Um, Bradley, um, Bradley's film, Lost and Found, which he co-directed with Andrew Goldsmith, um, won the, uh, it was the best screenplay at Stella. And that is not the only award it has won. Um, but that is where I met Bradley. So we had a chat there and talked about a few things and I keenly tried to line him up for this podcast. So welcome, Bradley, and thank you so much for giving us your time. No, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. And look, I believe I believe this wonderful film of yours was shortlisted for an Oscar as well, Bradley. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That is incredible. uh, Thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, it was kind of strange to be on that list with uh, kind of companies you look up to for so long, like being direct competition with Pixar. It It was a place that we never expected to be and yeah, very great experience to kind of do that whole crazy office campaign thing. Yeah. So you, you're you're elevating our, our podcast just by being here, an Oscar nominee on our Novel Therapy podcast. We're very excited. Shortlisty. Short short okay, shortlisty, whatever. I'll, I'll That's details. If everyone wants to take that as a nominee. Yeah, details. <laughs> exactly, <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> Oscar is the important word. <laughs> But we have lots of questions we'd love to ask. Um, so one of the first ones Helen and I were both interested in is just simply your background. Helen, you wanted to know, like, actually his background, as in, you know, tell us a bit about where you grew up. And yeah, what. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'd like to know, because you're a very unusual individual. I scoured the internet to find out about you, and it was actually very difficult. I think you must be ultra cool <laughs> to... Um, Keep so much to say. So, are um, you in no, Melbourne? I'm, uh, I was born in Johannesburg, in South Africa, and then I moved oh, to yeah. Melbourne when I was nine. Um, did most of my growing up in Melbourne, um, and then I moved to Sydney for about five, six years uh, to study film. And uh, I mean, it took me a long time to figure out that's what I wanted to do. I think there was a year in between though that I'd taken off that I think I was looking up marine biology courses. Um, I just wasn't sure how to kind of make a career out of screenwriting. And I, um, my lecture, uh, one of my lecturers at the time, I think she's now, well, I think she's now the CEO of Actors, but she was taking the master's program and we had a coffee. She said, do this program. I think it'll be good for you. We're going to kind of go in at a different angle. And that's actually the year that I'd written lots and found. Really? Under her it's- guidance. So she was incredibly supportive and helpful. Mel Greenwood, yeah. And where did the idea for that very heartrending. I mean, I watched it again this morning and was in tears again. There's a lot of deep pain behind that story, even though it's only what eight minutes long. Mm. I, uh, I thought. 
I, with most of my writing, it usually, and I'm not sure if it's because I'm such a super fanatic, but most of it just starts off with a high concept. And so I've had this idea about a doll unraveling itself to, I, I didn't have the reason. Um, and initially it was about unraveling to, like I said, in an alleyway where I was going to unravel itself to try and find its, its owner. Um, but I'd, I'd gone through various iterations, um, and that's when I, I think I was 25 at the time, and I'd fallen into my first relationship. I think naturally, kind of your, you know, your the life you're living kind of feeds into your writing. Mm. I mean, obviously, Helen, you understand, and so I, I naturally it started to become about a relationship, and it started to become oh, unraveling. How much of yourself do you unravel? You know, if it's someone that you care about, and how much is too much, or do you kind of just go unapologetically and so I mean while making the film was because it was about a three to four year process I'd actually gone through two <laughs> two entirely significant relationships right. so two two loves two heartbreaks yep. um, and the ending the tone of the ending my co-director and I kept getting into squabbles because he was just like look they're both good but you've got to pick one but on one side, I was like, yeah, yay, love, that's awesome. Let's have uplifting music. It's going to be hopeful. And then <laughs> I'd have a break. And I was like, no, it's not, you know, love isn't the, the most important thing. You have to take care of yourself and you have to see some of the music. And that, mm. that took a really long time. That very last shot, um, I won't kind of give any spoilers away for your listeners, but mm. um, it was a really tight rope to balance to not kind of answer the question that yeah. I had an answer for, or that my co-director had a different answer for. Can we ask what your answer is? Or is that being to me? Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm happy to say my answer. So the, the film's been online for, I think, over a year now. So I'm happy to mm. kind of say, for me, uh, okay, so this is the way <laughs> I'm going to answer it. So I don't think that the dinosaur is able to be crocheted back together. I think in the same way that a relationship that's broken. My psychologist had given me this uh, metaphor, or it could have been my brother, but you can break apart a bicycle so many times that once it's so many pieces that you can't actually put it together the same way that it was. Mm. Um, and for me, that there's no way that the dinosaur would be able to put back together in the same way that the relationship would be the same. So mm. yeah. I took kind of reassurance that it didn't matter whether or not the fox was able to put the dinosaur back together because the fox doesn't know and yet she still stays on that count of trying again and again and again. I think that was the important message to uh, send across. So the dinosaur kind of gave himself entirely in a physical sense and the fox was willing to sacrifice her entire self in a temporal sense. And so because the fox doesn't know, that says more about the character's motivation, I think. Um, without kind of her doing it just because she knows that there's a reward for her around the corner. Yeah, it's purpose. Um, it gives the in, fox purpose. Yeah, if I was in that sushi bar with the fox, I would say, honey, no, it's, it's done. It's, you know I mean? You need to kind of move on. See, that kills me because the optimist in me is like, fox, think, keep going. You got you know, this. Got a bit of a freeze, yeah. <laughs> I think we had a bit of a freeze, hopefully. Yes. Um, just a word, a word of warning to our listeners. Yeah. We're going to experience some some <laughs> glitches because of the internet gods. Bradley is currently frozen, looking very um, 
thoughtful on video, but hopefully we'll get through it without, <laughs> without too much trouble. But, yeah, I think... So I, I would really... Our listeners really need to download this beautiful little film. Yes. It's only eight minutes. It's perfect corona watching. And it's a story of... I actually misinterpreted it as... I thought it was friendship. But it's, mm. of course, deep love as well. Loyalty, sacrifice, even heroism. There are some wonderful themes in there. Um, and Absolutely. it's a very good time to be reminded of those deep themes. I'm just messaging Bradley because he's frozen. How are you doing, Kate? Good, but he's frozen at the moment. So we'll just have to wait till he rejoins us. The internet gods are very playful, they're also a little bit tricky. Um, yeah. So they've zapped him for the time being, but hopefully he will revive in yeah. any minute now. Um, but while he's frozen, <laughs> yes, Helen, uh, Helen's right. I think we, we'll put a link to um, Lost and Found, the short film we're talking about in our group. It is absolutely beautiful um, and emotional and just incredibly done. Now, how are we going? I've, both of you are frozen at the moment on my video. Helen, you're okay. Bradley, can you... Can we hear you? I think we've lost Bradley for a short little moment. That's really uh-huh. sad. This silly. All, I, I keep thinking of this when you say, let it go. Oh, <laughs> oh here we go. Bradley's being admitted back in. This is, this is how we have to roll. We just have to roll with the technology. <laughs> the good thing is on the video, I, he, he's been frozen in such a nice pose, so he can feel good about that. Because sometimes when you're frozen, it can get you in an unfortunate pose, you know. We have two Bradleys in our video. Thank you. <laughs> Bradley, the good news is, okay, he's going to get rid of his other person. You're, you're two people now. This is incredible. We have two Bradleys on the screen. One is thoughtful and pensive. That's so There we go. There we go. Uh, that I was just taking the opportunity to explain oh, to our listeners yeah. that glitches will happen. That's the unfortunately the era we're in, the little sub era of internet glitches. But we were just praising Lost and Found and telling your telling our listeners we'll pop a link into it in our Facebook group. It is so beautiful. Oh, it's terrific. it's moving. It's just inc- yeah. It's been done so. It, it's a good mixture. Like for me as a reader and a a content watcher. I love it when that balance of beautiful storytelling happens with, you know, it's beautifully made in the case of a film, like it's visually beautiful, but it's also a beautiful story. And when the two combine, it doesn't always happen. It makes it very memorable. It was definitely my favorite film. I voted for you in the, at the film festival at Stella. So I'm not surprised you won a prize. Um, No, it was, it was, it was beautiful. Uh, Well, I I should, I, kind of said it and sent a congrats to my crew. I was incredibly lucky to have a generous and talented crew. We've got so much yeah. talent in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll ask our answer, Renny Watson, and I'll line to Daryl Thompson, yeah. who uh, does the cinematography and motion control for Adam Elliott's work. Ah, right. And then my coder, obviously, Andrew Goldsmith, is got, he comes from a, a commercial and VFX background, but... He knows his craft, and he's uh, he, he's, uh, he's he's quite a perfectionist when it comes to the aesthetic, which is why I think everything came so sharp. So mm. I give credit to him for making it look so schmick. Yeah, I was very happy. I, yeah, 
Uh, well, you should be. Hey Bradley, how are you being affected? I'd love to hear how you're being affected by the current, you know, social distancing. Is it affecting your own personal creativity? Uh, for career, career-wise and creativity-wise, no, my life hasn't actually changed too much because I'm, I'm on deadlines at the moment. I'm working on a couple of new projects and so I'd kind of be on lockdown in the house in many cases. Uh, where it has affected me, I went to go, my, my mother is over 65 and she's got an autoimmune and so I can't see her. And so uh. I need to collect something from the house and it was kind of strange where you kind of just, I'm watching my mum from just standing at the door while I'm blinking in the car and I'm, I'm feeling kind of that distancing uh, difficulty. But in terms of an introvert <laughs> and a writer, I'm still, like, I'm living my best life at the moment. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange thing to say because I don't know how many people have been so affected by yeah. it. But I think as a writer, not someone in film because so many productions have been shut down, but I've had a couple of Australian companies approach me for animation content now because it's one of the very few things that can still be made because the, the crews are so small and backwards. And so, yeah, so it's mm. one of those things that I I think I've benefited from it, which is a really awful thing to say. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it, in, for all intents and purposes, I, I, I haven't been, luckily, haven't... Uh, been affected too badly mm. and there's a great hunger for content now isn't there with mm. all netflix and amazon all these channels yeah well in uh, yeah in a month we'll be I, mean, I think we'll be seeing a whole lot of speculation scripts do you reckon now, all those scripts that writers didn't have time to write mm. now are writing them I do you know what i read so recently you'll That's love this helen um, I read that there's been an, an influx of um, erotica fiction around the coronavirus. Like um, people are writing and self-publishing <laughs> erotic fiction or romance fiction. It's apparently booming. Like with because they're explaining that the normal scenario yeah. f- with the plumber visiting and and an unexpected romance happening has to be rewritten. It's it's different so <laughs> circumstances. Funny. So watch yeah, out for that. So funny. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, that's uh, so, I can, I can so imagine Brent- a lot of isolation horrors as well, like everything yes. that's like yeah. what can happen when you're stuck yep. at home. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to one of my publishers about this at the moment and saying, is the coronavirus bringing out a whole lot of great coronavirus novels? And she said, Four million of them, and they're all terribly written. <laughs> I know, someone from uh, what are you working wait, on? Someone, oh, what are you right now, on? I'm. Uh, I've got an adult animated series uh, that I was lucky enough to get funding from Scripted Inc. Um, and the contract now uh, official and everything. So I've started writing that uh, yesterday, and it's one of those wow. things where you. You kind of write a pitch for a project mm. and it's exciting and it's promising all these things and then <laughs> someone gives you money to do it and you're like, oh, I've actually got to kind of now it's real. come through with it. Yeah, I feel like it's the equivalent of kind of fudging a resume and then getting the job and going, all right, now I actually have to do all those things I promised. Mm. But I'm, I'm oh. having fun with it and it's a very personal story. Then I'm also Can you give us an idea? Yeah. Can yeah, you give yeah. Us an idea it's, uh, of what it's 
Yeah, of course. It's a it's a very it's going to sound strange after I say it's a very <laughs> personal project, but it's a, about this kind of down and out character who's also Satan, and it's about him kind of taking accountability for things that have really upset him. So it's not this kind of big fast Satan. It's like this scrawny vulnerable rings under his eyes and he's struggling with his job and he can't quit because he signed a contract for eternity but he hates that everyone hates him um i love so it essentially the devil trying to find a sense of self-love and it's set in this world where heaven and hell are creative tech startups and get a falling he used to be housemates with godfrey and they develop the life algorithm together but they're the falling out and then godfrey's now kind of running the heavens inc and now then out of fine created the uh, Hell HQ. And so it's about having this balance, but he hates his job, and he, it's, it's literally a hell of his own creation, but he's accountable to the board who won't let him out of his contract. And so it's, but it's, it's where, where it comes from, and this is why it's very personal to me, is I've been in a few situations, personal and professional, where I've been so angry with other people for putting me or keeping me in a position that I didn't like. Mm. But it's really taking accountability for what's in my control and kind of seeing where I was wrong or how I was a monster in their eyes mm -hmm. and really kind of being honest about it. Um, and I know I mentioned it in the pitch document, but I, I do a little bit of drawing that I designed this character mm. of what they, so it's called Damien. Um, and I sent it to my brother and I was like, what do you think? And he goes, are you drawing yourself? And I looked at it again and I saw this kind of tall, skinny guy who was wearing a cardigan, nothing. So and I was like, oh, that is so telling. But yeah, he's got like horns that bend down because he's kind of a bit mopey. It's, it's, I'd say tonally it's probably where... Bojack Horseman and Curb Your Enthusiasm meet in the middle. Oh my wow. god! Yeah, so that's wow. the kind of trying to, thing I'm trying to go. Yeah, so that's what I'm working so on. So how long? <clears throat> how long will it take from now for us to begin to see it? I want to see it right now. <laughs> Me too. Happy to share. <laughs> I, I'm happy to share the pitch document I sent to you guys. Something great. I'd love your thoughts. Um, writing the pilot now, which is due in about a month. Um, once I do that. My, I've got representation in LA and they can package the pilot with the pitch uh, document and they can start shopping it around and seeing who's interested in it. Yeah. I think the world will be interested in that. That sounds, it really sounds Terry brilliant. With Terry Patchett on steroids. I love that it's so current. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping you get that because oh. it's, a, it's a fun one to write because it is, I'm really kind of um, digging in a very personal place it's kind of at an emission of all my shame so it's great in terms of what makes it uh, writing vulnerable this is quite an embarrassing once right i mean it's mm. by all senses it's how i see myself as the devil sometimes and how i can kind of instead of trying to find the external validation how do you kind of find mm. self-love in spite of you know believing that everyone else hates you and so yeah it's a, it, that's definitely different tonally yeah so, little seven minutes start motion but i'm also trying to develop um something long format kind of in a similar space to lost and found but completely different world and characters um and so that's the other thing i'm working on at the moment and then obviously i mean as writers it's constant pitching and so waiting to hear back and a few things 
Wow. So with that one you were describing, yeah. the Damien and the, the devil, the heaven and hell one, do you know in in the pitch process, do you have a like an ideal format that you want it to be? For example, a film or a TV series, or do you just do you have to be open yeah. to what the market says they want? So this is actually something I'm experiencing with uh, that crochet kind of project that I'm working on as well, because I've just had feedback from my agent saying she really likes it, but uh, it's more likely that I would have to change the format. Okay. So I think when I mm. jump into a project, I think all writers, you kind of, when you're writing, you can kind of see it and you you start building attachments to how it's going to be made or how it's going to be produced, whether it's a book, whether it's a film, a series, a radio play. Um, but I think it's tricky to kind of be too married to that because mm-hmm. mm. we're working with the client. Yes. Buying a ticket. And so it's really the industry that's going to be saying what it needs to be. Okay. Um, so I would love for Damien to be kind of a half hour series on Netflix. That's the kind of big idea that I, you know, that I'm kind of excited about. But if the way to get it made and the way to keep writing stories within this world is a mini series or a mm. feature film. Yep. I'd obviously be open to that because yeah, you just have to go with so it. Mm. Because, yeah, mm. I, to an extent, I okay. think at least. Okay, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. So you and you use the word client then, like so you almost see it like you you've got the creative concept and you need someone to pick it up and work with you on it. So you've got to almost have that client relationship. That's really interesting thinking about it that way. Yeah, which which makes me feel uh, like such a. a Pop out in a way, but I remember the first uh, one of the first lectures lectures I had at film school. Mm. Um, we were told, "Well, look, you can either be artists or you can be working practitioners." And it was kind of yep. a, a it was a really kind of big mm. box job. It was like, "All right, we can't. I can't just go. This is what I love." right and mm-hmm. this is amazing mm-hmm. for me and I want everyone to watch it like if someone wants to watch it they want the thing that they want yeah and so it really is I think uh, I think thinking of it in terms of a, a client you're selling a product I think it's a really good way in terms of at least having a sustainable career in an industry like that mm. that's a okay, really good probably, way to look at it yeah it's probably the only way you can survive really I think yeah. as professional. Mm. Yeah. And then you find your little loopholes in terms of how you can kind of find your artistic in yeah. and kind of keep it personal and everything. But yeah, I think it's if you want people other than yourself to be able to watch it, you need to be able to kind of expand it and make it relatable and on a platform that people can get to. And obviously these different platforms have different, you know, um, uh, criteria for what they need and how they're going to get it across to their audience and yeah i love that that what you're sorry go ahead no i I remember being a little bit heartbroken when i found that out but i think it was because i knew there was a bit of truth to it (laughs) yeah i mean you kind of like you grow up thinking i'm going to be the artist and you're like oh no no you're just uh a businessman Mm. in a different trade 
but it's a fun one. And so, um, yeah, but that's a really, I think that's a really powerful um, way to look at it. And as you say, it obviously impacted you. And for a lot of our listeners who are pursuing creative hobbies or creative passions or creative lives, the reality is we all, we all have bills to pay, you know, for most of us anyway. Yeah. We all have those realities and I love that idea of artist or working practitioner and hopefully there are moments where they can combine. Um, but, mm. yeah, I think that's actually really important. Um, yeah, it's just reality, isn't it? It's reality, but you can do both because I don't want to sound all doom and gloom. I think it's like there's I. I wrote on a show for Channel 7, a cartoon called Kitty is Not a Cat, which was really fun, but it's not the kind of material that my passion work is about. And so, but doing that buys me time to be able to work on a passion project that is Damien or another project and finding that. I had a look at, I had a look at Kitty is Not a Cat because <laughs> uh, my cat Jonah is, is a cartoon cat in creation. Mm. And the other thing is there is, I was going to write a book called I Am Not a Cat based on Jonah, which was based on a Japanese writer in, in 1910 who wrote a book called I Am a Cat. Oh, this is, and <laughs> I love about it. My aristocratic. <laughs> so you, 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 you pipped me to the post on that one. But oh, that's sure gone on. The, oh, I hope you write that book. <laughs> that's gone on the Disney Channel, I saw. Yes. Your in, Kitty uh, is uh, Not a Cat. It's on like 65, on Disney Channel in 65 countries except like the UK and the US, which is where I really wanted to be seen. But it's, um, except the centres of uh, Western civilization, but that's okay. You got your yeah, work no, towards no. that. But China is such a huge market now, isn't it, for yeah. media, for books, for films. So exactly. In, in some ways it's probably great that you've nobbled that, <clears throat> you mm. know, yeah. And, and I don't know about oh, you, but I, I love um, the Asian market. I think that they're a fascinating, very enthusiastic uh, consumer of ideas. Absolutely. The more And with animation specifically. I know mm. there are a couple of animation summits there. And so, yeah, no, I've got a special place in my heart for that region. I know I, I pitched a, 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 a lost and found series at the whole promotion plan a couple of years ago and it won the grand prize and so I think maybe that's why I'm a little bit biased but I <laughs> I um, definitely kind of enjoyed you know going to Seoul and seeing the, the industry there where I'd otherwise didn't even know you know couldn't be confident it's, if one even existed there and it's huge mm, it's a really yeah. really, it's, really big market there Mm. Yeah, a creative hub, really, Asia now. It's fascinating. Yeah, Yeah. there was obviously a theme with Japan in Lost and Found. Um, Have you got a relationship with Japan, Bradley, or a particular interest in Japanese culture? Yeah, it's strange because I've gotten a little bit of an obsession with Japanese philosophy and culture, and I haven't ever visited Japan (gasps) yet. No way! So so in my... um, my master's class, I developed, uh, okay, so there's two ways I want to answer this. And okay. One is I developed two projects. One was Lost and Found. Yeah. And the other one was uh, a, a feature animation that was Seven Egypt period about a ninja. Um, and I think all the research I was doing for that kind of started opening all these, you know, the 
these cultural books and uh, philosophies, uh, you know, set in Japan and uh, the philosophy that I was really inspired by, which is what we named the company after, was Wabi Sabi, which is celebrating the transience of life and things that things are be- beautiful when yeah. they're impermanent or imperfect. Yes, which, which is which very held dear in Japanese culture. Yeah, mm. I, I think, it, and, it, and it really aligned with, like, not just my sensibilities as a viewer, but um, uh, the kind of stuff I like writing, my worldview, and so that that really uh, resonated with me. Sorry, what were you saying, Alan? Oh, I was saying, I think I have a friend in Japan who is an academic who specialises in all of this kind of thing. I've got to introduce you to her. Oh, please, I think, please. Yeah, I, yeah. I love discussing this kind of stuff because I feel like it's a large part of the reason why, I, as a middle-class white guy, I can't complain. I've got a lot of privilege, privilege obviously, but mm. I think there is a, a, a kind of a perpetual boom that faces us is because we kind of strive for perfection and we try and be the best. And there's, mm. there's something very beautiful in kind of surrendering to being something yeah. that's temporary. And I, I yeah. think you can find a lot of peace in that. And I think yes. um, mm. that's what inspired me to kind of keep digging into this uh, kind of philosophy and learning mm. about Kintsugi, which is, you know, joining the broken pottery with uh, uh, gold pigment in order to kind yeah. of celebrate what's broken about and what Brent. gives something. Yeah, beauty, yeah. History. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, that's so, – I can't wait so for that, you to that go. Was, that was, that was, that was, I know. Well, I was actually hoping to go at the end of this year, but we'll, we'll see. I don't know if, it's, if uh, travel bans will be lifted by then, but I really wanted to do a research trip for my ninja story. Um, mm. But yeah, even they will just love you over there. Mm. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be awful to say. Um, but yeah, and then the other the other mm-hmm. side of setting uh, it in Japan because it was a very strange choice. Yeah, kind of because we got that question a lot. Why? Yeah, because it's very noticeable. Like it really stands yeah. out. Yeah. So I mean, I'll ask our editors fantastic job about really. Uh, excavating those elements of wabi-sabi and putting them, you know, into like the timbers and making everything look weathered and loved and warm. Mm-hmm. Um, but originally, I'm not sure if you remember I, when I mentioned at the beginning of the talk that mm. it was originally set in an alleyway. Yes. So uh, we, we've had a budget cut. In the master's uh, program, you get a certain amount of money to be able to either make like a sample of the project that you're pitching or mm-hmm. something bigger and the budget was cut there's a lot of things under the when Tony uh Abbott um was still prime minister and there was a huge uh, cut to the arts mm. and uh, Australian film TV and radio schools the government school so we got hit directly mm. and so we kind of had to kind of pivot what our project was and right. so I'd, instead of doing kind of concept art for this story I thought oh you know what if I've got a script and we've got concept art why can't we just make like a picture story book uh which we did make um i've actually got it oh here. cool I'll, uh, I'll show you after the interview hmm. but um so we had uh, a picture story book um but then i was thinking oh well it's going to be a very short picture story book it was mm. kind of like this very simple story and then i was going through my bucket of like um um I call it my seed bucket, which is just kind of like one-liners and things to kind of 
find the same themes and mm-hmm. one was about this was one was directly set in a sushi bar which was about this introverted sushi in a bubble who <laughs> falls in love with like a shrimp as he's going around and around the sushi train <laughs> introverted it's all sushi about kind of escaping your comfort zone to kind of yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was doing more research. I was like, like, he's more of a hikikomori shut-in, which is that kind of, that um, those people in Japan that are so afraid to leave their apartment that they manage to find ways of just n- never leaving, whether it's food delivered at the door, wow. whether it's like a system of cleaning things. And so reading about that, and it's about a fear of the world and what can happen if you leave. And yeah. so this was a story about this little uh. piece that, in order to kind of enjoy anything, you kind of needed to, you know, expose yourself to danger. A very Dory mentality, I suppose. Mm. Um, where it's like when she says to Marlon, if you never let anything to happen to him, nothing's going to happen to him. And then the other story, which was, was about two bonsai trees where over 100 years they've kind of become intertwined and one begins to die and uproot. And so this other tree has to unwrap all these branches before he's uprooted as well. Oh, they're also so, beautiful. And every, you know, every branch is another memory. And so I figured, okay, those two stories feel like the beginning and the end of love. And if lost and found is something about the relationship, the real, like the middle of it, we can tell this story as a trilogy using different characters about mm-hmm. what it's like to experience love. And I was like, okay, well, then it just makes sense to kind of set these dolls, instead of these crochet dolls, make them amigurumi dolls. Um, set it in the same sushi bar and then we kind of were able to what we're trying to do is like alright let's try and tell a haiku in, uh, as a visual medium mm. yeah. yeah so you really so have a lot of affinity with Japanese culture it seems like there'll be more Japanese themed stories to come from you absolutely I think it's going to be inherent in all my work even if I'm setting one in Australia now and it's I had to kind of put in the pitch document like even though it's set in Australia mm. it's got a lot of culture as um, uh, integrated, you know, with Australianism, there's still a lot of Japanese philosophy in it. I think it's it, it, it influenced me a lot when I was doing that reading. Mm. Well, Japan's fantastic. I went there. Yeah. I've lived there twice. I, I did Japanese all through school. I went to uni there. I've lived in Osaka. Oh, yeah. I've lived in Tokyo, and it is a fabulous, magical place. Um, I felt it, it was the first place I ever went overseas. So for me, I'll never forget the feeling of you know the magic far far away tree i read as a child this idea that you climb a tree and enter a magic land that is exactly how i felt when i sat on my suitcase in a dark um japanese street um waiting to sort of get let into my dorm and i just looked at the sky and went okay the sky looks familiar that's cool everything else just seemed so different and i was like wow um that next morning like a walking through my local area was like oh my god it's it's such a cool place you you will just love it oh, yeah. yeah i have to pick your brains when i book my yeah <laughs> i think now more than ever we need some of those beautiful philosophies that you've been exploring mm. you know impermanence like we think we're going to be locked inside forever at the moment we're not, you know, mm. would be an imperfection. We just have to accept that life's we've got a bit crazy, don't you think? Mm. I, well, I, I do. I think it's uh, I, I, particularly in the film industry. I don't know too much about other mm. industries, mm. but we're, it's, it's a ladder that we're all trying to climb, and we won't. We feel like our lives won't be complete until we're at the top. 
and it's a very kind of unhappy way of living and I still kind of battle with that a lot of the time but it's kind of being okay with where you are and finding purpose in that and so even now that we're being stuck inside even if we are stuck inside one we're not going to be stuck inside forever and it's being able to kind of be you know have that perspective but if we are stuck inside forever you know, it's, it doesn't it doesn't deteriorate from mm. what we you know all those amazing experiences that we had before we were stuck inside and being grateful for that, or all the amazing things that we can appreciate about kind of being stuck inside and kind of looking inward and figuring out what's actually important to you. Like I feel yeah. like this, what we're kind of experiencing now is a a perfect like yeah. I mean, you already said it, but a perfect example about why. Wabi Sabi is such an important philosophy to mm-hmm. remember because it is making us realize that nothing is permanent and everything that we saw, every plan that we made that we thought was secure is wasn't fleeting. And so, so it's really about, you know, living more in the now and being present and appreciating mm. what's right in front of us rather than trying to chase something ahead or yeah. trying to kind of reconcile something in the past and it's so true. And Helen often, talk, we talk about this in various ways. Helen giggles at, at my list making because I can get a bit too fastidious about, <laughs> I've got a huge yeah. list next to me here. Um, it's so true what you just said. I think I'm the kind of personality that I tend to anchor myself in my future. I anchor myself in my yeah. vision of where I'm heading all the time. I can't do that right now because every single future plan I had whether it be travel or how much money will I have in the bank at this month and what's happening with that and it doesn't matter. Well, all that matters yeah. is I'm home with my daughter and at the moment we're doing the most incredibly difficult thousand-piece puzzle. My kitten keeps jumping on the table and causing chaos and those moments are it for me and that's anchoring. That's actually a much healthier yeah. anchor. Um, and it's funny you brought up, I didn't catch the phrase, but that Japanese lifestyle choice of being massively like isolated, it's funny how that is what we're all wrestling with and yet there has been people living like that and wanting to live like that. Like that's a lifestyle choice for some people. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. Hikikomori. 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 Um, yeah. 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 And, you know, historically I think there have always been people, lighthouse keepers, <laughs> stamp collectors, they've always been introverts who've been so true comfortable in the yeah yeah this is just the the world frozen and just gives us a chance to catch up for a little bit yeah and time (laughs) is time have you guys found that time is getting all for me it's getting all soupy and like a like a slime ball you know it's changing sometimes i think was it only two weeks ago it was my daughter's birthday it's like and then stella seems so long ago and it's like I'm being given the gift of time. I'm always complaining that I don't have time. Now I have time. So it's really interesting in that way. Yeah. 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 Definitely. But how wonderful creativity hasn't been sent into a spiral the way some of my friends have. Mm. You know, people have responded differently. Yeah. They certainly have. Um in, in, in a way, it's kind of, I don't know how counterintuitive it is, but I'm doing because there was an interesting article where it's like, it's, uh, uh, it's, it seems like everyone now have his, has the fear that they've got the same amount of time and they need to be as productive as possible. But I know. They don't know what the world's going to look like. I mean, 
side of this. And yeah. so there's, it's actually a time to just slow down. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm totally on the side where I'm just like, no, this is my chance to catch up. I'm not, not going to get another chance like this again. So are you being quite but productive? I, I'm yes. being productive, but I, I would suppose anti-wabi-sabi. That's the way of practice that I'm still trying to figure out how to implement my own life. But it's, uh, I, I definitely feel that, you know, that urge to kind of continue generating materials so okay. I can feel a sense of security, I guess. Mm. Have you had yeah. to develop but any new habits? Or, oh, sorry. You go, Helen. No, I was going to say all of these stories that you're talking about are truly universal and they're based on deep philosophy. And so no matter what kind of world we step out into mm-hmm. after this, these stories are still going to be relevant. Yeah. Whereas if you're right, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But I suppose I don't know, it's, it's hard to tell if, you know, if there will be theatres on the other side of this or if it's mm. all going to be streaming. It's, it's one of those things It's like mm. no one. No, no we one don't knows. know. It's like I, there have been events that have been postponed instead of cancelled, you know, like uh, film festivals, like, oh, no, we'll go on in August. I'm just like, you don't know that. <laughs> no one knows that. Um, now nah, I feel, you know, we're just going to get another email just before August to say, okay, no, it's cancelled. It's one of those things that we don't know. No. Until we have a vaccine, we won't know how long it's going to last. Mm. Fascinating, isn't it? It's very Oh, I'm it so is. I'm so grateful to, to be alive at this time and experience this because I, I don't think there's ever been anything quite like it. Exactly. I mean, we've had yeah. the plague. No. But at least this time we've got technology. Yeah. Yeah, and on the other one, we're so equipped to be able to deal with it as opposed to, you know, five, ten years ago. Um, yeah. But uh, hopefully it's a long-lasting effect, but I feel like a lot of people are going to be, when, at the other end of this, when people hug, the hugs are going to be a little bit deeper. Like, I feel yeah. like there's going to be yeah. a lot of appreciation for things that we took for granted. Yeah. I, I think... Uh, I think the effects of that might last a couple of weeks, but those two weeks will be amazing with everyone going out. Really, because it, yeah. it that has made us all focus on what's important in life. And when you mm. actually work, it's actually a very few things: it's family, friends. Mm. You know, it, it's oh, yeah. not a lot of yeah. Family, and that's friends, a, hobbies. Oh, yeah. I just noticed we got the same bottle. Oh yeah, is that from Plover? <laughs> Plover, yeah. Oh, from the festival. <laughs> Of course we do. Oh, nice <laughs> and so cool. I'm wearing dinosaur earrings. I don't know. I noticed. I didn't, want, I didn't want to interrupt. I love them. I didn't <laughs> want to interrupt. And you've got your Andy Warhol t-shirt on. I know. Oh, She's a rock that. star, Helen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, <laughs> one last question, Bradley, before we wind up. And I've got to um, – I've got to say hi to you from Sarah, by the way, because I messaged her and said that I was interviewing you, Sarah from Stella, and she said – Yes. She said um, that she hopes you're staying well and still punning like a king. I didn't know you were a pun king. <laughs> yeah, no, we're having a pun battle. Oh, good. toilet paper the other day on Instagram, yeah. Oh, good. Um, but I was going to ask, like, just as we were winding up about corona, like, do you think it have how has it changed you? Can you witness any changes in either the way you're thinking? Is it Have you had to create any new habits or things to, yeah, how has it changing, changed you so far? So far, I, I suppose I go grocery shopping once a week yeah. instead of, uh, you know, like getting little bits and pieces. I, that, that's it. It really hasn't affected me okay. too much. Yeah. Like this is, I, my writing habit, I usually wake up 
go to a cafe, come home, go to another cafe or a library. So I, the, the, a, a tricky adjustment has been, okay, how do I kind of stay focused and motivated, only working from the place that I'm used to relaxing at? And that's kind of a tricky thing to compartmentalize. Um, but I'm lucky that uh, my partner and I have a one-bedroom place and we converted the second bedroom. Yeah. Uh, well, no, sorry, it's a two-bedroom place. Right. The, the second bedroom, which is kind of a half-bedroom we've kind of completed and pulled up a study where I can okay. kind of be excited to come here and focus. Yeah, so that, that, that's it. But how are you guys holding up with it all? Oh, I'm, I, I'm quite liking it, actually. Um, yeah. I've set up this routine. It, most weekdays I read to my cat, Jonah, on Facebook, <laughs> and people say, so good. as a joke. <laughs> but now I get people messaging me if I forget a day or do something else. So people are quite hooked on that. Mm. And, you know, maybe there's something in an old woman reading to her cat. Who knows? Make a beautiful it's not book. talking about... <laughs> it's well. beautiful. I love it. Yeah. It's so therapeutic. And it's just, I was trying to explain it to Helen. It's nostalgic or it's calming. And I was saying to her, how often does someone read to you when you're an adult? You don't get read to. It's very comforting. Mm. I've loved it. And I just love watching Jonah. It looks like he's listening. <laughs> It's just really cute. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, look, I'm an so extrovert. Yeah, kind of yeah. You, you said you're an introvert, so it's easy for you. Like, I'm quite extroverted. So, for me, I was very, like – and I had immediate impacts on my business, which was quite stressful. But now that things have settled, I've had to create routine, and part of that has been connecting socially with people. Um, and once I've done that, then I've felt better and now I feel very creatively stimulated. Like I'm fascinated by what's going on, but I'm also sensitive. I, I feel sad when I watch the news. I feel awful for people who've lost their jobs and stuff. So it's hard. I have to I have to monitor how much sad stories I let in. Otherwise I get sad. Um, you can really get sucked in that vortex. Yeah, you can kind of – what the yeah. news cycle's always there for you. If you want to, you can focus on all of it. Um but, yeah, like, like you, I think I'm sort of fascinated to see how the world's going to change. I don't think it'll ever really in some ways be the same, and I'm just fascinated to see that. Mm. I just well, want like to that, know. That bicycle metaphor that uh, my psychologist Yeah, it won't quite be the same. You, you disassemble something so many times that you can't really figure out how to put it back. Yeah, and will it be a better bike? Maybe maybe what you'll create will be more efficient or more fair or yeah, yeah. I'm I'm interested in all a of lot that. Of people working from home. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going right back to the themes of lost and found. I mean, that's so current. I, I would, you know, fully recommend people to to watch that because it's the same thing, something's broken, isn't it? And we don't know what's going to be in the future. Does the dinosaur get made again? Or if it yeah. does, does it have four legs? Five legs? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, not trying to kind of recreate something that was because you miss it. It's about yeah. taking what you learn from that and making something new or learning to leave it behind and take what you grew from it and move on. Oh, you so guys are great. You're both philosophers. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel my philosophy. Oh, I love it. You two are gorgeous. Just so our listeners know as well. So Helen and um, Bradley haven't met before, but one of the reasons I was taught, well, one of the things that came up when I spoke to Bradley at Stella was I talked about Helen's children's book version of 
her story, Cleo, Cleo and Rob. And I, um, Bradley was so interested in it, in it. I said, I'll give you a copy. So how lovely that this is kind of the first time they're meeting, but Bradley's actually seen Cleo and Rob. Um, tell us what you thought of it, Bradley, because I know you said you, you, know, you were really taken by it. My partner and I, my partner's a preschool teacher, so when we have a picture storybook, we have story time here, which is a, <laughs> because she's taken me off, so it's a nice little thing to do, and we're both gearing up on page four. It was such a, a beautifully told story about loss that was kind of palatable for a, a much younger audience. Uh, there were metaphors in there. I think that there are two moments that kind of I can't get out of my head. And the one is um, the yarn using a bloodstream as yarn, which I thought was such a beautiful mm. way that a children, you know, that a child could understand, you know, all this, not understand what's happening, but mm. illustrating that gap in terms of not understanding quite what's happening. Um, yeah. And the other moment that absolutely broke my heart was the accident happening because of, uh, Rob was trying to rescue someone. Oh, no, not Rob. Sorry, Sam was trying to rescue someone. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, it's just an incredibly sad story that's told in such a simple, beautiful way. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, it's Aww. an absolutely beautiful piece of work. And the artwork as well is such a, um, I don't, I don't know who I've forgotten who your artist Phoebe. was, but the the use of tassels, mm. Phoebe, Phoebe Morris. Such a, it's just yeah, the combination of text and the aesthetic just really blend into this kind of nostalgic, sentimental kind of piece. That I, I mean, I obviously love things that are sentimental and uh, things that are very simple, and I think you've taken a really complex emotion of grieving and told it in a very minimalist way that's really you know very toolable for anyone yeah oh, thank you Brett. thank no, you my pleasure thank you for writing it oh yeah it's i can imagine oh. it would be incredibly hard to kind of we're talking about you know writing from a place of vulnerability mm. and i can't imagine anything more difficult taking this you know, reaching into a place of pain like that and being able to kind of express it so other people can kind of take comfort in knowing that they're not the only one going through loss, yeah. which is, you know, it's, it's a shared experience. It's why we tell stories. <clears throat> and that's the benefit, the distance of time mm. has made it possible for me to do yeah. that and the knowledge that there are people out there going through mm. much harsher grief right now mm. and when it happened to me I really badly wanted people to assure me life wasn't over and I suppose that's mm. part of the reason I, I write have written about it and with this children's book it, it's to try and help kids understand loss of a friend or a sibling because that's mm. been such Which a taboo and it's so important for them to understand and I've never understood why it was taboo I, uh, I used to work in childcare. I was my background. I used to work full time in childcare. And I couldn't understand why children's content was so sugar coated. And I think it explains why I resonated with your website. Yeah. And why I'm writing the stuff that I'm trying to write. Mm. I know Inside Out came out, which is all about exploring the value of sadness and what its purpose is. 
And I was so excited to tell my sister about it. She's got a kid with Asperger's. And my sister's very much, she's a beautiful woman who's very positive and trying to make everyone happy. But I know that, you know, that it's, you can't kind of just switch it on like a light switch. And so I was so excited to tell her about this story um, and to tell her, please go take the kids to see it. And her response was so telling. She goes, no, no, I don't want to take them. Apparently it's bad. Mm-hmm. And I thought, isn't that perfect? We're, really, we're not just, you know, saying Sony, we're like blocking. Yeah, we're avoiding. What? But we, like, even the feeling, it's like, well, mm. no, we don't want to be sad, sad, the bad thing, we're going to put the door on it. That's something that's not to be ashamed of. I know, like, I'm very open about seeing a psychologist, which my, my own mum, bless her, she, she was always like, no, no one needs to know you think a psychologist. <laughs> and I remember when she says that kind of thing, it's like, oh, it's just something mm. that, you know, should be shameful about it, or if it is, is, yeah. should I be embarrassed? And you, know, you start feeling. You know, like, oh, that, that must be a secret then. And then if there's a secret, there must be a reason why I need to be keeping it a secret. So I think oh. the more open we are to kids about their emotions and kind of telling them, no, these are, you know. Mm. Healthy. You're going to experience happy things and you're also going to be experiencing bad things. But mm. you need, you need, yeah, it's, you, it's going to be so much healthier if you need to if you know how to deal with all of them and there's no age restriction for when you deal with grief or when you deal with elation. No. And they're I so think... emotionally intelligent. Yeah. I yeah. Was, so I'll just finish up uh, this mm. talk here. What I found was that you, they were totally on board the same kind of, you know, emotions and experiences that I was kind of experiencing. Mm. They just weren't able to, you know, they didn't have the tools or the language yeah. to articulate yeah. it properly. But it's totally understood. And I show lost and found to... Uh, to seven-year-olds or six-year-olds who are able to relate it, they haven't even they haven't experienced loss in terms of a family member, or friend, but they know what it's like to lose their cherished toy or something, and they can, you know, we've had messages from parents saying, "Can you take a photo of the doll for us to make sure they're okay?" Because you know, our five-year-olds, you know, still really sad in bed. And I was like, okay, if they can kind of understand that emotion and resonate with a character, wonderful. Then it's a really powerful tool for them to you know open a conversation with them and their parents about understanding what it's like to not say you know see how to say goodbye to something and not take that for granted and and then i'm sure you had the same effect with uh with cleo and rob and the effect that it had on kids when you released that as a kid's book too helen Mm. yeah yeah you kids are so often underestimated their Mm. emotional intelligence and Mm. i think it's really important to tell sad stories so that when I mean, who is protected from sadness and loss? No. So that when mm. it happens to a child, as long as they know that there's that you're not going to be sad forever, that there is hope, mm. then the story is worth telling. Yeah. And I think you know your film tells that mm. story too. That there is hope. <laughs> the fox might the dinosaur yeah. well, together. <laughs> but as I suppose more broadly, the fox will find happiness again, whether or yeah. not, you know, whether it's with the dinosaur or whether it's with someone else or whether it's, you know, just with her. That's true. That's a good way to yeah. look at it. The, yeah. I like that interpretation. Yeah. Well, listen, you two, I'm going to play our outro music. We're, we're going to wrap up, but it's so lovely to witness you two getting to know each other. 
Can we do it in real life when we're allowed to, please? In a bar, maybe? <laughs> yeah, when we're allowed to hang out, I'd love to. <laughs> that would be great. That would be so great. Yeah, but th- thank you so much, frankly. Exactly. It's been wonderful. We've no, loved thank it. Thank you. Thanks for the great questions as well. Good. Thank you. Well, we'll leave it there and we'll speak to everyone next time. And um, thanks for listening.